Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Now, the scripture uh, that will be read for you this morning comes from John chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go.
right, I did it. Okay, <laughs> welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square again. Good morning um, to our live streaming and our in-person worship. Uh, we're going to keep doing this, just for those of you who are wondering, until um, we, we have been counseled by epidemiologists and our task force to keep doing live services until roughly... Uh, in Manhattan, infection rates get to about 3% over a seven-day average, or in New York City, 5%. And so, um, or until our government uh, says it's unsafe to meet. Uh, so for those of you who are wondering, that's why we're doing this. We're doing this because it's important to uh, meet both embodied, but then also uh, digitally as well. Uh, we've been going through a series all fall looking at the tendency for all of us, everybody in this room, everybody out of this room, to have pharisaical um, dealings with others. What I mean by that is this, is that, we, that the series we've been in is we're trying to deconstruct Phariseeism, which is the tendency to add requirements. I will accept you if you do this and this, that we add on to what is necessary to accept each other. That we add on to, we say, hey, if you're going to interact with me, you have to do this, this, and this. Today we get to the end of our series, and so after we, Jesus has been deconstructing Phariseeism, we now need to look at how does he reconstruct us. And our passage shows us that Jesus fundamentally changes humanity, changes our perspective, changes how we operate in life, and the, the methodology, the way he does it, is through suffering. In years past, whenever I've tried to talk about suffering, it's always a little bit hard because uh, it hits people unevenly. Some folks are not. And they're like, things are great. So it's difficult to talk about suffering when a lot of folks could ignore it. But this year is different, isn't it? As Joe uh, mentioned earlier, that suffering is all around us. It's everywhere. All of our problems boil down to it, actually. Think about poverty. Think about racism and classism and sexism and sexual abuse and death and disease and uh, pandemics. All these things essentially are, uh, at one level or another, suffers. We're suffering. So eventually, it's going to happen. If, it, if you don't feel like it's happening to you, just give it some time. It will happen. Uh, some of you know this more than other people right now. It's the main reason why people do not come to God. If you want to look at statistics about when you ask people, why, why do you not believe in God? The main reason why is because of suffering. It's the main reason why we don't seek after God. It's the main reason why, for those of you who do believe, why you question your belief in God. It's the main reason why we get stuck. It's the main reason why we're bewildered day in and day out. It's because of suffering. But suffering, just so you know, is not just a problem for religious people. It's, it's a problem for all of humans, no matter what you believe, because we suffer. So the question is, is what do we do about it? And I think this is where the text is helpful for us. This text enters into and gives Jesus' me- methodology and ways to deal with it. The context as, that Joe just read is that at this point in the text, Jesus has delayed in coming to be with his sick friend Lazarus. And by now he's died. And Jesus is now walking into a funeral. Lazarus is there. Um, dead. Mary and Martha are there, and they approach him. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what did he do for them that can help us today? What, how did he interact with them that actually can inter- help us today? And so what we need to look at is, I think, three things here. 
how we handle suffering, how Jesus handles our suffering, and then how we can now live in the midst of suffering. I'll say it again. How do we, how do we deal with suffering? How does Jesus enter our suffering, and then how can we now live in the midst of suffering? So first, how do we handle suffering? And this, this past summer, uh, it was um, news. I don't know if you saw this. It was news. Facebook is actually doing a payout of $52 million as a settlement to folks who were moderators of content on their platform. And what happened was, is back in 2018, uh, there was a, one of these former moderators sued Facebook because she was required to view regularly photos that were very disturbing. Photos of murder, photo, photos of, of heinous things. And the job was to regulate that content, but just seeing those images caused trauma and damage. And, and the reason why is because even if, the, if it's not done to you, even you're just looking at it as a third party in this case, it, 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 it's, it's terrible. It, it, it messes with us. Which means that the reality of brokenness, the reality of, of, of the broken world is impacting us and hitting us. And we need to ask ourselves, what are the methodologies that we all use to deal with it? And Mary and Martha give us examples. Because these two sisters deal with the enormity of losing their brother in drastically different ways. Look at verse 30. Uh, when Jesus meets them, they actually say the exact same phrase to Jesus, right? In verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then you go to verse 32, Mary utters the exact same phrase. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when I first realized this, when I was studying this passage for the first time years ago, it was like, wait, John is clearly trying to get us to compare and contrast each sister because if the phrase is the same the reaction is different what's going on here and i think what's happening here is that these are two different ways to handle suffering and you should ask yourself which one is it which one of these are is you the first one is what i'll call the martha way martha how does she handle it she handles it intellectually so it says here that jesus meets her and she says in verse 24 what does she say i know that he will rise again on the on the you know, at the resurrection on the last day, right? I know that. I know, I know the answer. It's almost kind of like she's kind of given a good Sunday school answer. I, you know, I, I know how, what's going to happen. Um, and actually, I've actually seen, I, when I was researching for this, I read a, a couple sermons from other people where they actually ended with this verse because they saw this as like, yeah, this is the end. There's, Martha knew the answer. The resurrection's going to happen. Let's live in light of that. And what I actually hadn't noticed until this week is if you skip down to verse 39 with Jesus at the tomb with Lazarus, who else is there is Martha. And what is she saying? She's like, don't open the tomb. Don't open the tomb. If you do that, there's going to be this odor. There's going to be this smell. And what does that mean? The problem is, if she really knew the right answer, she wouldn't have been at the tomb telling Jesus, stop, stop, don't do this. She clearly, at some level, with the problem of suffering, the way she was intellectually processing it, she didn't get it. And I think there's actually a Christian way to, to intellectually process suffering. There's a, there's a secular way, too. The Christian way is, is this sort of knowing the right pat answer, knowing the resurrection uh, is going to happen, and then intellectually understanding that, but then not personally receiving it. It's kind of cognitively knowing that answer. And, and maybe if you're a Christian, you might have known that answer. You know that answer in your head. 
But as we live our lives, uh, you know, day in and day out, it doesn't have an effect on us. We don't have an experience. We haven't internalized it. It's like um, I live in an apartment. I don't have an addict. But a lot of people, um, I've gone to, when I was a kid, my grandparents' house, and they had this huge attic. And it was filled with antiques and stuff in there. It's like owning a really valuable antique, but it's tucked away in an attic. You don't know its value. You don't even know it's there anymore. You've forgotten about it. It's, it's covered in dust and mothballs. That's how sometimes the resurrection acts for us because it has value, but practically it's tucked away and we're not actually accessing it. Now, there's a secular way to deal with suffering. It's very philosophical. Uh, some scholars have traced um, modern atheism back to Voltaire, where in, in 1755 there was this uh, huge earthquake. It decimated uh, the town of Lisbon, and after that, Voltaire just wrote a lot of stuff saying and questioning God. First, he was saying maybe there's not a God at all. But he's saying if there is a God, there's only one of two things. He's either powerful but not loving to allow this to happen to Lisbon, and therefore he's cruel, or he's loving, but he's not powerful, which makes him inept. Either way, God couldn't be both because if he's both loving and, he's bo- and powerful, then why does he let this happen? Why is death here? Why is the pandemic here? Why is my life so hard? Uh, and even though he said that in 1755, you can go back to the 4th century B.C. to Epicurus, who I think puts it the most succinctly. He says this, Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Well, then, why is there evil? And so this is actually not too difficult. The reason why, and I've I've quoted this Epicurus before, but I love it with this passage because the people in this passage are essentially saying the same thing. Look at the the mourners here. In verse 36, they say, See how he loved him? And then verse 37, But could he not have stopped this man from dying? See how they're pitting the love of, of Jesus, with the power of Jesus? They're like, well, it's one or the other, right? It can't be both. How could it be both? That's how we handle suffering intellectually. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. But the, the second way to handle suffering is what I'll call uh, the, the merry way. The, the, this is the emotional way. Look at verse 32. She shows up and she can't, even stand st- she can't even stand up straight. It says she falls at his feet. And then in verse 33, she's weeping. And I, I looked into the Greek of this. This is not like a boo-hoo, like a, like a, like a sob. This is a, a wailing, ugly crying. It's, it's, it's a real deep, uh, emotional heartbreak. She, she's a puddle. She can't even stand up straight. So one way to handle suffering is, is intellectually. 
to come about it. But the other way is to go to pieces or some folks rage. Some folks get mad, get angry, they fume. And what we need to note is these are actually two poles of the, uh, on extreme sides that most of us probably can find ourselves on this spectrum. I've, a lot of times you can, you can do both these things at the same time. Because that's how we currently handle suffering. We're either rationalizing it or we're embodying it. We're either analyzing it or we're emoting it. Which is, and interestingly, isn't it interesting? And for both parties, this is their reaction to suffering. Notice it doesn't actually solve it. Neither, nobody has the solution for suffering, which is why we have the problem in the first place. And so the question is, you need to ask yourself, are you more the ugly crier or are you the, the intellectualizer? Are you the, you know, how, how are you handling the pandemic? Are, are you with lots of words and thoughts or is it tears and, and uh, hurts? Are you ignoring it, obsessing about it? And I, I was thinking about it for myself this week. I think I use all these methods. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up and down. I used to be steady, Mike. Now it's, now it's roller coaster, Mike. You know, fine, fine, fine. Everything's great. No, no, it's not. Up and down, up and down. And it's, it's uh, sometimes I'm able to, able to kind of get my mind around it. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by it. Sometimes I'm, I'm so stoic, I don't even know I'm feeling it. Sarah has to say to me, she goes, no, this is what's going on. Here's how you're feeling right now. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because that's just, that, those are, these are all the ways that we process that's how we deal with suffering. Everybody, you too, have your version of this. And by the way, just in case you thought like, well, the, the solution is that there's not a God, I think you have a bigger problem if there's not a God. Because if, if there's not a God, suffering then is just the product of the strong eating the weak. Right? Think about it this way. If the world is just random, that you come out of randomness, and then when you die, you go into randomness because there's no real meaning in either one of those spaces. You can't have meaning in between. The concept of suffering, by definition, means something's not the way it's supposed to be. But if there is no order to reality, then there's no what something should be or shouldn't be. Things are just are. So you actually lose your rational reason to actually even be mad in the first place. Again, I, I used to do this with college students. I said, hey, you can't just say that you just, we just happen to kind of form randomly, and then when you die, there's nothing afterwards, and so then you go to randomness. And you, but no worries. In the middle, there's not randomness. There's meaning. That you can't have non-meaning on both sides and have, and, and have something in between. You can't. And so, and so I think it's pretty hard to tell people, without God, you've actually lost the reason to be upset about the randomness of life anyway. And so we're all handling suffering differently. That's our first point. Ask yourself, which one are you? Now, secondly, how does Jesus enter into that suffering? Yes, Mary Martha, same phrase, different reaction. But John wants us also to compare Jesus' reaction to Mary and Martha and his response. Look at Martha first. In verse 25, Jesus shows up, hears her statement, and says, what? He actually answers her. He gives her an intellectual answer. She has an intellectual answer. He has an intellectual answer. His intellectual answer, though, (laughs) the verbal answer is saying that your answer is not enough. Right? What's the answer? The answer is not he will rise at the end of time with the resurrection. The answer was I am the resurrection and the life. Martha gave an intellectual answer, but Jesus says that's... That's, here, here's an intellectual way to tell you 
that she, that's not the answer. Let's go to the concept of resurrection in the first place. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life, what is resurrection? Resurrection is life again, right? It's life again. So if Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I'm life again and I'm life. Life again and life. I'm double life. I'm, basically, I am the power. I'm the access to that power. I'm, the, <laughs> I, I'm not just a teacher. I, I'm telling you not just the way to understand the resurrection, but that I am the resurrection. In other words, Martha, you don't just need more content. You need the experience. And in the face of the experience, she needed the intellectual truth all over, that, that's over all other truths. She needed the power over all other powers, and Jesus gives her exactly that. Now I'm going to look at Mary, though. What does he do for Mary? Mary throws herself down in verse 32. And though he gives Martha a Bible study, he meets her intellectually. What does Jesus say to Martha? Look at the text. He says nothing. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He knows exactly what every person needs in exactly the way that they need it. He sees her tears in verse 33, and his reply in verse 35 is tears as well. And what we need to remember is he's not, why, why is he crying? He's not crying because, oh no, Lazarus is dead. I don't know what to do. He's, he's about to raise him from the dead. So he's not sad for Lazarus. Why is he weeping? He's weeping for Mary. And this has always shook me to the core. This is why this is one of my favorite passages is because if you take the whole arc of the Bible, what's amazing here is what you're, what you're witnessing is the God of the universe in the person of Jesus crying with Mary. We might not ever ultimately know why bad things happen, but we know what the answer can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love us because here he is tenderly and gently caring. He could easily have said, puny earthling, how dare you question, don't you know what I'm about to do? He doesn't do that. No, when he meets her, he meets her with more tears. And I think this is important. Sometimes what you need is not the answer. Sometimes what you need is someone to sit with you and just be with you. And Jesus does precisely that. Martha needed a concept. Mary needed a person. Martha needed an intellectual idea. Mary needed a shoulder to cry on. No other faith that I know of comes even close to saying God was so moved by our suffering that he's sitting with you in it. Sure, there's power with this, the intellectual answer that Jesus gives to Martha, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but you need to also see the power of a divine comforter sitting with you. And now combine those powers. Those powers. You combine them, you have the power to fix suffering and the power to handle it while you're in the middle of it. In other words, some of you right now, what you need to hear is you need the cognitive answer that, of, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That we might not know why God allows evil and suffering to happen, but just because we can't see a good reason for it doesn't mean there isn't one. And by knowing that, it helps you get through because the resurrection is real and everything sad is going to become true. Some of you need to hear that, but, 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 some of you just need Jesus right alongside of you, in it with you. 
He's in it with us. And he became vulnerable and suffered not just for us. He suffered alongside us. And so hopefully you see how complete this answer actually is. Jesus enters into our darkness, but then sits in it, in that darkness, and points us out into the light. So yes, some of you need to re-remember the, the, the promises of Jesus. But some of you need to just know that he isn't distant in that pain. And so you need to ask yourself, what do you actually need? Now, before we move on, some people would actually kind of say, great, this is done. But that's not enough. No offense. Having the intellectual answer and having Jesus kind of cry alongside you, those are, those are helpful. But it's not enough. There's one more thing that he does here. In verse 38, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved. Right? He was moved for Mary. He had, an, he had a, 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 a sort of Bible study with Martha. But now once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. And unfortunately, this is one of those times when the translations do not come out um, as accurately as possible. The Greek word for deeply moved here is not just emotional distress and anger. It's the, it's the kind of rage that a, of a wild animal snorting with, with, with a wild beast that can't be controlled. Jesus is hot with rage, so upset, so angry, so fuming. At who? Clearly not Mary and Martha. He just sat with them. He's actually facing the tomb now, it says here. That means the only thing that he could be angry at is death itself. That this verb of snorting with, with, with the animalistic rage, that's what one does before they're about to charge and attack. Calvin, when I was reading him on this, he said, Christ here is not coming as an idle spectator, but like a gladiator, like a wrestler about to jump in the ring. B.B. Warfield said, Christ here has a fury produced of profound agitation. And, I, and I've, you know, it kind of doesn't really hit you if you think that death is just a concept. That's too sterile. You need to think about it as Jesus seeing the presence of death and suffering, ravaging destruction on his creation, and he's saying, that's my enemy. That's why I'm here. That's, I, his sight is set on his objective and goal. Sometimes, I haven't gone to a hospital recently, but, um, you know, in, in my pastoral ministry, I've gone to hospitals with people dying of cancer. I've gone um, to, you know, places where I'm with the sick. And when I leave, sometimes I will literally walk outside and just scream. I hate death. This is wrong. This is not okay. That's what Jesus is doing here. But whereas my rage has no, has no power in it, Jesus's does. So what does he actually do? He goes to the tomb and he speaks. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Which everybody's like, oh, look, it's a miracle. But here's the problem, and this is, this is, what, this is also really profound. The miracle isn't actually raising Lazarus from the dead. You're dead wrong if you think that's the miracle here. Because when Lazarus was raised from the dead, guess what happened? He died again. Which if you think about it, it's kind of a crummy miracle in a way. Because you raise him from the dead just for, for him to die again. So that, that's like doubly painful now. So in some ways, the greater miracle wasn't Lazarus being raised from the dead. It was the effects of that miracle and what ended up happening out of it that mattered. By healing Lazarus, it's not in our text because it's too long, but if you go a couple lines after in John chapter 11, it says the Sanhedrin met 
right after this, they were so angry, they were so upset by this, they finally decided to kill him. In other words, healing this death led to his death. And by doing so, there was no going back anymore. In other words, healing this death causes his death. That means the only way he could end real death was entering into the process of death himself by going to the cross. And hopefully you see what this means then. Now, the intellectual answer of Martha and the emotional shoulder of Mary, in and of themselves, they're not, those two things aren't enough on their own. But by entering into death himself and defeating it, now you actually make Martha's answer true and Mary's tears healed. Because the shoulder of God and the intellectual answer of God only has power because Jesus went into death itself, did something about it, and came out on the other end. Now, I've, over the years, people have said, but what, why this whole process? If Jesus is God, why can't he just snap his fingers and get rid of suffering? Just snap the fingers. You're God. And guess what? He could. I've thought about this a lot. You could snap his fingers and end suffering. The problem is, if you snap your fingers to end suffering, you would have to end the people who caused the suffering too. And that would mean ending us. How do you wipe away suffering without wiping us away? Is he had to wipe himself away. Which means he takes the death and he swallows it up. That's the ultimate answer for suffering. He can't get Lazarus out of the grave unless he puts himself into the grave. He can't get us out of suffering unless he puts, us, unless he puts himself into suffering. And so yes, he will sit with you. And yes, he'll give you an intellectual answer to you. But he actually is going to do something about it. That's how Jesus handles our suffering. So last point now. How now can we live in the midst of suffering? What you need to do now, before we leave these doors, you need to take your own plea. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You have your version of that. Jesus, if you had been here, I wouldn't be in this bad marriage. Jesus, if you had been here, I wouldn't be single. I wouldn't be in a dead-end job. I wouldn't be in a pandemic. Right? I wouldn't be suffering silently. I wouldn't be wrongly accused. I wouldn't... He, take your tears, and the first thing you should do with them is this. Let that suffering point you to, or at least taste what maybe one small bit of what Jesus did for you. Right? In other words, suffering can ever so slightly remind you what Jesus bore for you first. Secondly, take the knowledge that if he raised Lazarus from the dead, if he raised, was raised from the dead, that means you are going to be raised from the dead. That means everything that's going on right now is momentary. It's not going to last. All that is sad right now will become untrue. That and that alone gives us hope for the future. It gives us comfort in the now. And it gives us a drive to live until then. A hope for the future means it won't always be this way. A comfort now means you can last. You don't have to give up. You can wait. You can hold fast. You can make it to the end. And a drive to live until then. And so I, I, what I use today, I'm asking myself, what am I trying to use right now to get me through to tomorrow? What are you trying right now to use to get you through tomorrow? 
that won't work. We have assurance today that things won't always be like today. Intellectually, emotionally, I don't know where you're all at, but the resurrection means the dead won't stay dead. The dead will not stay dead. The resurrection means that death doesn't have the last say on your life or on my life right now. The resurrection means the pandemic can't ultimately win. And so let me ask you, what do we do out of this? I think the only thing left is praise, pause, and rest. And repeat. Praise, pause, and rest. Will you let this knowledge change you? Let it challenge you to move you out, out of your stoicism, out of your non-feeling spaces, out of your apathetic, potentially comfortable lives, and see that if this is not the end, but just the beginning, that real death hit Jesus. So physical death isn't real death anymore. Physical death can actually only bring you into new life, can actually only make you greater than what you are right now. And if you knew that, if you really felt that, if you really let that embody inside of you, you have hope evermore, hope eternal. Without the resurrection, I have no hope. It's going to get us. It's going to swallow us. There is no end in sight. But if there is a resurrection, we will see our friends again. We will see our family again. We'll see each other again. And we really can say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Because physical death is just entrance into, physical, into more real glory. Don't you realize that the resurrection, if it's true, that the only thing that death can do is bring you closer to the one who loved you so much that he entered into it himself? Even better, if you believe in the resurrection, you don't actually have to, you don't get this later. You can have that now. You live every day in that truth. I guarantee you it will transform the circumstances that you're in. Please don't ask to change your circumstances, not because we don't want them to change, but because they're gonna, once they do, you'll get another set of circumstances. Sit in this. And what that means then is you can say, come on, suffering, bring it on. The lower you lay me down, the higher you're going to raise me up. Kill me, and all you're going to do is make me better than before. Because if you die, the resurrection means you're greater than that. That means even the worst things can only bring about the best things, and the greatest is yet to come. Let's live that transformed life on the basis of this hope. And if you do, I promise you this church will change, the city will change, and your life will change. A few quick practical applications of this. Go back to the beginning of that discussion. Remember how I said how a lot of secular folks don't know how you can have an all-powerful and all-loving God? The Christian answer to that is the resurrection. That we don't know why suffering continues, but since he weeps with us and is present with us, and because he's all-loving. At the same time, he has the power with rage to do something about it, and he did. He enters into suffering and defeats it. He's all-powerful, fused together. One, two, second practical application. If you know this is how Jesus counsels people, please, please, please do the same thing. Do not meet people as one-size-fits-all. You need, if somebody comes with you with an intellectual answer, see if there's an actual emotional component to it underneath it all. Some people need a shoulder to cry on. Some people need an answer. You don't know who it is until you actually figure it out. Take the time. 
figure out what they need. You can do that because you're already resting in this. Don't stay on the sidelines. Don't stay away. That's what's so difficult about the pandemic is that in some ways we, we feel frozen because we're being told, like, be careful, watch out. And you can, but there's so many other spaces. You can call people up. You can text them. You can make, there are so many things to move out now because real death can't touch us. And lastly, if we know that this resurrection is the only answer to our hurts, then we need to live in light of that. There will always be more toil. There will always be something else on the horizon. Make the resurrection real, more real than your suffering. And then even when our hurts are front and center, this becomes even more prevalent in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this passage has always been meaningful to me personally because you are the great counselor. You are the wonderful counselor who meets us no matter where we're at. Father, and as Joe mentioned earlier in the service, we're all, we're, we're all over the spectrum right now. Help us to make the resurrection alive in our lives. Help us to see that the, everybody is dealing with this question. And the answer is, Father, there's not some great answers out there. The best answer we know is that you're sitting with us in it. You did something about it. And we can wait in the, in, the, in the already but not yet, knowing that it won't always be this way, Father. Let that revolutionize our inner spiritual lives. Help it to take the dark clouds that might will still be present, but they don't have the same effect on us because we see your light. Thank you. And I, thank you. Help, thank you. That, 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 that's all that can come out now. Thank you for what you've done for us, that despite us putting you on that cross, despite we're the ones that are doing the, often the suffering to each other, you loved us anyway. Your praisings in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.